And so John 15, 1 through 10 was read, so I don't have to read it to you in a minute. If you can try to remember what it was, but we'll get to it in just a few minutes. And, and I'm going to say some things probably that, that will be uh, maybe startling to you about this particular usage of the vine and the branches. But before I do that, I, I, I would like to ask a question. Last week, I, I spoke about Jesus, who, is, who said that he is the good shepherd. And I used... Uh, Psalms chapter 23 and said uh, this is a a psalm that I believe is a daily psalm and it refers to Jesus and that he can give us strength daily through this particular psalm and I I asked at that time if you would like to repeat it or say it how many I wonder would like to do that again this morning See see if you've got it down why don't we stand up and I'll, I'll, I'll quote it and you quote it with me and let's do it slowly together so that we have, make sure that we get it, get it all and get it right. Make sure I get it right. And I want to tell you right now that I've had, I've had uh, occasion this last week to really need that psalm in my life. Now, I don't know whether anybody else has or not, but but I've I had occasion I've had occasion to, to have to to revert to that uh, every day. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I will fear no evil. The day though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. For mine enemies, my, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you. All right, we're going to talk about the true vine this morning. Uh, and it was read on the, on the screen. John 15, 1 through 10 or 11. Now, we need some background for this statement. As a matter of fact, we need some Old Testament scriptures that give us some light on what Jesus is saying. Now, Jesus said, I am the true vine. Uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 tells us that we sometimes need background for what Jesus is saying. And, and I found that it's easy to run across texts like this and really not grasp what Jesus is saying and not, not get the full impact of it. But in Romans 15, 4, Paul said, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So he's saying we need to go back to the Scriptures, and the only Scriptures they had at that time were the Old Testament Scriptures. We need to go back and look at the Scriptures to understand what's going on. So that's a good reason to have a Bible reading schedule, isn't it? So that at least we get through the Bible once or twice, or how many times you can, get through it once a year, reading all the Bible. Sometimes it's tough to read... Uh, some of the texts, especially the book of Leviticus, is tough, and Numbers is tough, but most of it's fairly easy to read through. 
Now, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, he says that from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, when Jesus was here, he ran across some individuals, specifically uh, some people of the Sadducees. Those are the fellows that were close to the royalty. They were leaders in Israel. They were rulers in Israel. But they had a position with the rulers of Rome. So they, they, they liked to stay close to the hierarchy. And they did not believe that there was a resurrection. The Pharisees believed there was going to be a resurrection. And Jesus confronted them when they were trying to argue with them about it. He said, you do err. In other words, you make a mistake not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Okay. They didn't know the Scriptures, therefore they didn't know the power of God. We need to know the Scriptures so that we can know and feel the power of God. I have another chart. We, and I want to thank John and Kathy for those, those uh, charts. They're wonderful and, and the things that they, they presented for us. Uh, what I'm going to do now, I'm not calling anything into question in particular, but I want you to recognize that the text says, Jesus said, I am the true vine. He did not say he was a vineyard. Now you look at that text, you look at that illustration, and I'll put it up. I want it there for a reason. Because Jesus is not contending that he is a vineyard. So when we think of Jesus, we can't think of him like he's a lot of vines. In a big field. Have you ever seen a vineyard? You probably have. Going by on the highway, you've looked off into the field, and you've seen a vineyard. And they have vines, all sorts of, hundreds of vines. They have strings between them, and the grapes are growing. Grapes can't, a vine cannot grow by itself. It cannot go up. A vine usually grabs onto something and wiggles its way up, claws its way up. It'll claw its way up your house if you have it close to your house. It'll attach to your building and crawl. That's what vines do. So in a vineyard, they, they plant each plant, each vine, and then they run strings between it, or cords, and the vines will crawl over those strings and then have the fruit. Jesus did not say he was a vineyard. He said, I'm a vine. I'm the true vine. Now, we have to understand that Israel thought they were the true vine. Vine, singular. Israel had that concept. Look in Isaiah chapter 5. So when Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, what he's saying is, you're not it, folks. It's me. You are not the vine. I am the vine. Not only am I the vine, I am the true vine. I'm the right one. You're the wrong one. Okay, in Isaiah chapter 5, Here's a description of, of God's vineyard. He says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved, I'm at Isaiah 5 verse 1, a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. Now the word vineyard is there, and I want you to understand that sometimes in the Bible the term vineyard and vine are interchangeable. But notice what he says. He says, My, my well-beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. He fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine just one. He gathered everything. He, he cleared everything out. 
and he, and he walled around it. He got him a big section of land, and he walled around it, and he said, I've got a vine. And he said he built a tower in the midst of it. A tower. Now, sometimes when we think of towers, we think of, well, he built a big, a big fort, kind of like a, a, like a large um, forestry tower where you, where the forest ranger gets up on the tower and looks around for the, see if there's a forest fire. That's not what kind of tower he's talking about. I'll show you in a minute. He said he planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth, oops, wild grapes. Uh-oh. Wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard? Now, he's calling that whole area that he's got cordoned off and protected and gated, and the tower in the middle of it, and the vine in the middle of it, he's calling that a vineyard. He said, he said, and what have I not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes? And now go to it. I will tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I'll take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they don't rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his present plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Okay, he planted his vine, and he said, have some good fruit. And he made all the preparations for it, and he said, he said, now get busy and put on some good grapes. And what did they do? They put on some wild grapes. And wild grapes are bitter, basically. Israel failed to produce. They failed to produce the grapes. And so in Ezekiel chapter 17, he talks about the fact that he's going to tear them down, burn them up. He's not going to have anything more to do with it. When Jesus came to this earth and he began to to teach, he used several parables. And one parable he used talked about a vineyard. And in that in that parable, and I think it's in Matthew chapter twenty or twenty one, he said that he said that he sent he sent his servants to gather the fruit and get the bounty from his vineyard. And he said what happened was that the, the, the fellows that were tending to the vineyard said they, they stoned the fellows that came, the servants that came to get the fruit. And they mistreated them. And they killed them. So he sent another group, same kind of group. They did the same thing. He said, you know, I'm going to send them my son and they'll honor him. And you know what they did? They killed him. Now... God said, this is my, I planted this vine, I wanted some good fruit, and what did they do? They, they gave us my wild fruit, and they put the kind of fruit in there they wanted, and grew the kind of vines they wanted, and when Jesus came, they killed him. Okay, now, let's, let's talk about the use of the term vine. It, it's an interesting that God chose that, that lowly, that... <laughs> That lowly tree is not a tree, a vine. Why would he choose that symbol to represent his son? Let's see if I've got another chart. And I want to tell you, I, I had some trouble this last week trying to figure out everything I wanted to say. 
But th thanks to John and Kathy, they helped me out with these with these visuals. But I, I, was, I was struggling trying to get this thing right because I, I want I want to tell you the story of Jesus in the best way I possibly can. And uh, if if I falter along here, they didn't. They they got it right. So let's look at this next thing. There we go. Vine versus a vineyard. There's a vine. Now that's that's what he's talking about. One vine. And he he said that that was Israel. He he built it. Uh, he he built it and and he built the place for it and he planted it. And Jesus said, "I'm a vine." Now, do you know what a vine is good for? I'm going to tell you. There's only one thing that a vine is good for. That's to grow a grape. It can't do anything else. That's all that it does. Now, I've researched this a little bit. And I've discovered that, that there are some people that try to do other things with vines. But they can do some artsy things with vines. They can make baskets with vines. They can do some crafty things with vines. They can make baskets with vines. And they can make wreaths with vines. But the only good a vine is, is to produce fruit. Now then, let's look in it. That's not what I said. That's what God said. So let's look in the book of Ezekiel. If you have Ezekiel handy and you know how to get over there to it. Let's look in Ezekiel in chapter 15. And see what God says about the vine. He said at verse 1, Ezekiel 15, He said, The word came unto me, saying, Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any tree or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Shall be shall wood be taken thereof to do any work? Or will men take a pin on it to hang any vessel? Behold, it's cast into the fire for fuel. The fire devours both the ends of it and the midst of it is burned. It is meat for any is it meat for any work? Behold, when it was whole is meat for no work. How much less shall it be for any work when the fire has devoured it and it is burned? What he's, what's he saying is, what good is the vine? Fruit, that's it. Just fruit. And in chapter 17 of Ezekiel, he goes ahead and talks about the fact that, that this, this vine is going to be burned up because it's not of any use. Israel wasn't of any use. Okay. Now, we're talking about Jesus as a vine. And I'm thinking, Lord, why didn't you, why didn't you represent Jesus as a majestic Douglas fir? Douglas fir, you know the wood from the Douglas fir tree, and it's really not a fir tree, but that's what they call it. The wood from the Douglas fir is one of the best building products in the world. Do you know how tall this thing gets? Over 300 feet tall. If you went up in an elevator on a skyscraper, you went up to the 30th floor, you could look out if they'd planted a Douglas fir there a long time ago, and the branches would be tickling the windows. 30, 30 stories up, look out. And then right next to it is a giant redwood, the, the magnificent sequoia redwood. And it's another 50 feet taller. And then just down below it, about 180 feet, and this is shrimp, about 180 feet, if you don't know how big that is, go across the Tacoma Narrows, and when you're down on the deck, look up at the tower, that's the top of that tower, is 200 feet. Anyway... Here's the cedar tree, and what can they do with the cedar tree? Oh, that wood is aromatic. They can build with it. Matter of fact, they've done a, a lot of wonderful things. I've got cedar shingles on my house that are 40 years old. 
And man, they're still there. I maintain them, sure. But look what, look what, what you can do with it. And yet God didn't choose a magnificent, glorious, overwhelming tree. He didn't even choose the mighty oak. He chose a vine. He said, this is my son, a vine. What's the vine good for? To produce fruit. He said, well, if it doesn't produce fruit, he's going to purge it. He's going to, let's see if I can get this. It's the operator, it's not the, there you are. See the vine tower? Can you see that? That's what, the, that's what God put in the middle of his vineyard, the vine tower. See what it looks like? It looks like an Indian teepee. That's called a vine tower. So, when God built his vineyard, he put a tower in it and put the vine there and the vine goes up around that. So we're looking at Jesus and we're saying he is the vine. And of course, he would be have his branches up, up the tower. So, we've got that. Then he says, I will prune my vine. Now, if you look at it, you'll see, and you saw the pruning when we were going through it just a while ago. He was pruning it in order for it to produce more fruit. And if, if it produces fruit, he keeps the branch. But if it doesn't produce the fruit, he cuts it off. The main thing is that, that the limb is drawing strength from the vine. Now, that's, that's what the text says in John 15. Any branch that abides in me shall produce fruit because it's drawing strength from him. So, he says, I'll purge my, I'll prune my vine or I'll purge my vine so that it will produce fruit. Now, the fruit that he wants to produce, and it was, some of us read this morning, I, I don't want to, to overemphasize what, what we've already seen. Craig did a nice job on the Lord's table and, and he read the statements made about Jesus. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is this. When Jesus told these men, he said, I want you, and he's talking to the apostles, understand he's not talking to me, he's not talking to you, he's talking to these apostles. Now we get the benefit of it later on. But he's talking to these men and he's telling them something specific. He's saying, I want you to produce some fruit. What's he wanting them to do? Is he wanting them to go out and, and, and get multitudes to follow them? I don't think so. What sort of fruit, and the way we get to it is, basically, what sort of fruit was he looking for in particular? What was he, what was he asking them to produce? Well, if, if we're talking about producing fruit, we have to be talking about something that has to do with the individual himself. Isn't that right? So he's saying, I want you to produce fruit. I want you to be something that you are not. Isn't that what he's saying? He's saying, I want you to develop something within yourself that would look like me, that would draw strength from me and make you something that you have not been. If, if Israel had been what God wanted them to be, they would have been some of the nicest, most wonderful, intelligent, sweet, gentle, compassionate, 
people in the world because God had taken care of them. But you know who he came to? He came to a group of people that are arrogant, haughty, insolent, disobedient. They, didn't, they, they put Jesus to death. And yet they were God's vineyard. They were, they were the fruit vine. But they didn't produce the kind of fruit that, that they should have produced. They, they didn't care about anything but themselves. They were selfish. They were greedy. greedy. They were covetous. These people were not good people. They're not the kind of people you'd want to be around. So what Jesus is saying to these men, and I, I, think I, I think I can demonstrate that. He's saying to them, I want you to change so that you will have some of the same responses to you that I have to me. No, so I have to look at Jesus and say, okay, Lord, how's that going to happen? And he said, Any, the, the, that, the, that the limb has to abide in me or it cannot produce fruit. So the problem that is with that is that there was no one who could get into Jesus at that time. Peter couldn't. Judas couldn't. James couldn't. John couldn't. But Jesus is saying, you have to get attached to me and you have to draw strength from me or you can't produce fruit. That's it's interesting, isn't it? He's telling them to do something and he's saying, but you can't do it. You can't do it without me. You have to somehow get attached to me so that this can happen to you. In Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leper change his spots? He said, then they also may do good that are accustomed to doing evil. He said, no, you can't do that. Did you know you can't change your character? You cannot do it without attaching yourself to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It can't be done. And that's what he's telling them. You have to take your strength from me. You have to get into me. You have to be part of me. Or you can't be what you ought to be. I, I think that's what he's saying. He's saying that you have to draw strength from your master. He's addressing these men. He's telling them you have to keep in mind the comments that are addressed to, to them. We have to keep those comments in mind. We have to remember that Jesus told them in John chapter 16, verse 12, He said, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. You can't hear them. But the time will come when you can hear them. Now, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we can hear them now. They couldn't hear them then. He was telling these individuals to change their character. But at that point, they had no way to change their character. There was no way to do it. They had to somehow get their strength from Him. Well, let's look. Jesus, if, if you were to look at Jesus in His lifetime, you'd say, well, what sort of fellow was He? What sort of fellow was He? Have you ever put yourself in that position? These fellows are following Jesus and they're saying, well, what kind of man is this? Well, he said, Jesus said, uh, he, was, he was obedient to his Father. He said, I do all things that please him. He did everything to please his Father. 
The first commandment in the Bible with promise, do you know what that one is? Honor your father and your mother. The first commandment with promise. Jesus is the sort of man that did what his daddy told him to do. Wow. Parents, listen to this. If your children are not minding you, you are in trouble. You are in trouble. Because those kids will grow up without honoring God, without honoring you, without honoring any other adult, and they'll be disrespectful. Jesus was a respectful man. You say, well, what kind of man was he? He's a man who respected his parents. That's the kind of man he was. And he's telling these men, he's saying, be obedient, be respectful men. And that's sometimes that's, that's kind of hard. It was hard for the hard for the Jews. As a matter of fact, they they didn't they didn't like that idea. Uh, they in, in uh, Matthew chapter fifteen, he sets forth an example there. He said uh, they came to him and says, "Why? How come your disciples are not washing their hands before they eat?" It was a ceremony of washing. And he said, uh, "They're they're disobeying the commandments of the elders, the tradition of the elders." And Jesus said. You, by your traditions, are disobeying the commandments of God. For God said, honor your father and your mother. But you said, it is a gift by whatsoever you might be profited. What they were doing was, they were taking out money out of their pocket and saying, here, I'm going to give this into the treasury. Mom and Dad, I'd, I'd help you, but I'm giving this to the Lord. So you go hungry. You have to go beg for whatever you have to have. I'm not going to take care of you. Because I'm taking care of my responsibility to God. They weren't honoring their parents. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful when you run across a young man or a young woman that you know honors their parents. That they're obedient kids. Isn't that nice? School teachers, oh, they'd love to have kids like that, wouldn't they? Come into the classroom and say, yes ma'am, no ma'am. When we were raising our kids in California... Uh, we taught our kids to say yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir to anybody that's older than them, adults. You know what the teachers told us? They brought us in and reprimanded us. They shamed us. Said we don't want those kids calling me yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. We don't want that. They want to be called by their first name. And we said sorry, our kids are going to say yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir. Because we're going to teach them to respect Adults. Isn't it wonderful to run across somebody like that that respects an adult? Well, that's what Jesus is doing. So he's saying, go out and have some fruit. And he's telling these men to be respectful men. To be men who, are, who, are, who care about your parents. Well, Jesus had to tell John, I don't know whether John would have known it or not, but Jesus had to tell John, the apostle, when he was dying on the cross, Jesus was on the cross, he looked down at his mama, and he looked at John, and he said, Take care of my mama. Take care of my mother. Was Jesus a respectful man? That's the kind of man you'd want to be around. That's the kind of man I'd want to be around. And he's telling these men, You be that kind of man. That's the, that's the kind of fruit I want to see that you're developing. He was compassionate. Sure, Jesus was compassionate. You know, he couldn't walk by a need. Jesus couldn't walk by a need. He couldn't walk by someone that had, had a need and he couldn't, he couldn't keep from helping him. He just couldn't, he couldn't resist it. He had to. 
And a, a lady, a Syrophoenician woman came, and she wasn't even entitled to what he was doing. In Matthew chapter 15, she came to him and she said, My daughter's sick. My, I, you, can you help me? And he said, I wasn't sent to help you, lady. He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he said, It's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. And she said, Yea, Lord, but the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. Jesus said, I haven't found such faith in Israel. He hadn't found that kind of faith in Israel. But he helped her. <laughs> he couldn't keep from helping her. Isn't that something? And he's saying, you fellows go out. And he said, when you run across a need, you help. You do what I did. If you run across someone has a need, you remember what Peter and John did when they started preaching the gospel in John chapter, Acts chapter 3? Right after the gospel was introduced, they went up to the temple to pray. And there was a beggar sitting there. And he, he wanted alms. He, he, was, he was lame. And Peter said, I don't have any money. He said, but what I have, I'm going to give you. What I have, I'll give you. And he told him to stand up and walk, take up his bed and walk. These men, that was after Jesus rose from the dead, though. That was after Peter decided to attach himself to Jesus and learn what it was to be compassionate. Jesus was forgiving. Luke chapter 23, 34, it's, it's the greatest example of forgiveness that you'll ever see, that I'll ever see. He looked down from the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. And yet, how about these fellows that were supposed to be attached to Jesus on the vine? Well, in Matthew chapter 18... Jesus had just set forth a parable talking about forgiveness. And Peter said, hey, hey Lord, uh, how many times do I have to do this? Do you remember that? How often do I have to forgive my brother? And then he figured it out. Seven times. That ought to be enough for anybody. <laughs> he didn't know how to forgive, did he? Peter didn't. He wasn't attached to Jesus yet. He wasn't producing Jesus' fruit yet, was he? He said, how often? Jesus said, 70 times 7. 490 times. Well, that's, that's something, isn't it? That's the kind of fruit he's looking for. He's looking for the fruit of humility. Being humble. You know the kind of people Jesus came to? It's, it's hard to be humble when you're as good as we are. Huh? It's hard to be humble. The people he came to had no humility. No humility at all. They, they, they looked down their long, distinguished noses at a person that was poor. Didn't have anything. They said, this guy's nothing. They looked at the, they looked at the, uh, the, the publicans and the sinners. They said, we're better than they are. You need to talk to us. Don't be down there talking to them. Talk to us. That's what made them mad. Jesus was talking to the rabble. He was talking to the, those who had been dispossessed. And he said, but you know what? He, uh, he was trying to get his apostles to do the same thing. In John chapter 13, you remember the story? Jesus took off his garment after supper. What, you know what he did? He got down on his knees and he went around to each apostle and he washed their feet. Probably if they had known that was going to go on, that had a pre-washing. Isn't that right? 
If somebody's going to wash my feet, I'm going to make sure they're washed before they get to them. But he just got out and started washing feet. Peter said, you're not going to do that to me. Jesus said, if I don't, you're not clean. And Peter said, well, wash all of me, Lord. Wash me all over. All right. Did that work? Well, James and John came to Jesus and said, Hey, when you, when, you, when you come in your glory, we want to sit on your right hand, we want to sit on your left. We don't, we're not here to wash anybody's feet. We're here to rule. And not only that, they brought their mama with them. And she said, Can you do this for my boys? They didn't learn that, did they? They didn't, they didn't get that point. Well, that's what Jesus is telling them. Have some fruit. Be humble. Be contrite like he was. Have some fruit. Now, I can, I, can get the, I can get the point too. I'm talking about what these guys did and what they got, what point they got. They didn't get the point, did they? They couldn't until they got attached to Jesus. You need to be attached to Jesus. You've got to get your heart open and get him in there. And he's got to get a hold of you and drag you around bodily to make sure that you do the right thing. He does me. I don't know about you, but he grabs a hold of me and says, Bill, you're going to have to do it this way, boy, or it won't work. It's not going to work. It's not going to be any good. And you're not going to be worth anything. You've got to do it this way. You've got to get off your high horse. You've got to quit thinking you're any good and know that you're just as low as I am. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, for I am meek and lowly, Jesus said. You'll find rest for your souls. Jesus was opposed to evil. In, Ma in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 33 through 35, it says, In the synagogue there was a man with an unclean devil. He cried with a loud voice and said, Let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? He recognized who Jesus was. He said, What, what do we have to do with you? He knew that you, you just can't... The devil just doesn't have any place around Jesus, does he? And he's telling the apostles, he said, that's what you need to be. He said, that's the kind of men you need to be. That's the kind of fruit you need. When the devil comes around, he's going to run from you because he knows you don't have any part with him. He knows you don't have anything to do with him. He has nothing to do with you. But guess what? What did Peter do? This is after he heard all this. What did Peter do? Peter said, Lord, we'll stay with you always. And what did Peter do? Three times, three times he said, I don't want to have anything to do with this Jesus of Nazareth. They, said, they, said, they looked at him and said, hey, I think you were one of them. I think you're with him. Peter said, not me. Another lady, a little later on, looked at him and said, yeah, you're with Jesus. He said, I am not. The third time they said it, you know what Peter did? He let out some cursing. Profanity filled the air. Blue words came out of his mouth in order to emphasize the fact, I don't know this man. Well, now that's not the way Jesus is saying to produce fruit, is he? Now afterwards, Peter didn't do that. After Jesus got into his heart. 
after the day of Pentecost, Peter was baptized into Christ. He rose up to walk in newness of life. Jesus said, hey, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter said, I'll do it. So now Peter goes out and preaches Jesus Christ. And Jesus went about doing good. Acts 10.38, when, when uh, Peter was preaching to a centurion in Caesarea, he was talking about Jesus. And he said, he said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So he's telling these men, hey, go around doing good. You know what he's saying? See, what I'm doing is I'm saying, I'm saying, well, what, what kind of fruit, and I'm not talking about when we get into the New Testament in the, in the Gospels, in the, in the letters of the New Testament. In the letters of the New Testament, you're going to read things about the fruit of the Spirit. You're going to read about the fruit of righteousness. These fellows didn't know anything about that. They didn't know anything about that. All they knew was what did Jesus look like? What was he doing? So they were what Jesus was saying was, if you'll stay attached to me, you can do the same thing. They went about doing good. They should have been, shouldn't they? Jesus said he went about doing good. And yet, what happened with this fellow that went, went to the rulers and said, hey, how much will you give me to betray this guy? How much will you pay me? That's not good. So what I'm saying is that, that they didn't have the strength and the power that we have to go about doing good because we can be in Christ. They weren't in Christ. They were just starting out. Peter and John later on, it was noted, not, not at this time, because Peter said, I don't know him. You can't associate with me, him with me. But later on, after Jesus rose from the dead, and Peter got attached to Jesus, and Jesus got attached to him, he and James were standing before a group of religious leaders. And you know what they said? They said, these men have been with Jesus. This was after his resurrection, and after Peter and James got attached to Jesus, and they were drawing the power of Jesus. And these fellows said, I, they're with him. And Peter and James said, sure. See, or Peter and John, I mean, not James. They said, sure, we're, we're with Jesus. And they wouldn't quit talking about him. But before that, they did. But now then, they're attached to him, and he's, he's, he's uh, strengthening them. Jesus lifted spirits. You know, we're just, we're just talking about the things that, that he wanted them to do that, w- that we can see. Jesus said uh, that in John chapter 10, verse 10, He says, I came to give them life and that more abundantly. That's why I'm thinking when I'm quoting the 23rd Psalm to myself and Bonnie and I are talking about it, I'm thinking that the Lord is my shepherd. He, he, uh, he, he is good to me. And I'm thinking about all the things that He does for me. And so He says, Jesus said, I came to, that men may have life, and that more abundantly. When the 70 returned after, and I'm talking about men that were supposed to be looking like Jesus, they weren't, because they, they weren't attached to Him like we can be. 
But they, they were trying, and they were, Jesus was trying to get them to that position. But the 70 came back in Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, and they returned with joy. They returned with joy. They were rejoicing because the demons were subject to their power. Jesus said, don't, don't get happy about that. What you need to get happy about is that your names are written in heaven. <laughs> you know, if you're around somebody that Jesus is in and is, is full of Jesus, there's some happiness on board. And you can feel it. You can feel it. Because they're happy, they're joyful, and they're not grumpy Gus. They're not, woe is me. They're not, oh, what's going to happen to me next? They are full of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and He's in them, and they have joy. They didn't have it then, because they all got sad. Jesus went to the cross, every one of them got, got down the dumps, moped around, kicked the dirt, kicked the tin can down the street. What's going to happen to us now? But when Jesus rose from the dead, you know what happened? Happiness prevailed. You know, a woman came out to the grave. In Matthew chapter 28, 7 and 8, Jesus was gone. All the disciples were home mourning and weeping and carrying on and afraid of what was going to happen. And Mary Magdalene came that morning with some others. But she came bringing spices to, to uh, take care of the body of Jesus. She, she knew it was gone. Everybody was sad, downhearted, broken-hearted, broken-spirited. Everybody was, their jaws were down on their laps. They were, they were defeated. And when Mary Magdalene walked in the tomb, and the angel stood there and said, Hey, he's not here. He is risen. Wow. I'm glad, I'm glad I saw that one. I'm glad I wasn't over there with these apostles all down in the dumps wondering what's going to happen to me now. I'm glad I was there with Mary when she said, it says, it says that she, she departed, they all departed from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. Isn't that wonderful? Great joy. Now, what kind of fruit? He said, here fellas, here's, here's the kind of fruit I want to see in you. Be, be respectful to God. Keep His commandments. Be compassionate. Be forgiving. Be humble. Oppose evil. I oppose evil. Do good. Lift spirits. Make people happy. <laughs> now that's basically, as far as I can see, that's the fruit, that's the only fruit I could see, basically, that Jesus is trying to encourage these fellows to have. Now then, later on in the New Testament, you'll read about other fruits, too, that will come about. But the whole point is, until they were attached to Jesus Christ, until they opened their heart, and boy, when Jesus got to this earth, He found some hard-shelled sinners. Their hearts were tough. They couldn't get it. He couldn't bust them open. Their hearts were hard. Their ears were closed. Their eyes were shut. And Jesus couldn't get in. But those who opened their hearts, opened their eyes and opened their ears, Jesus comes in. He comes into your heart. And then, once you get attached, then comes the fruit. If you need to respond to the gospel this morning, Jesus is here. He rose from the dead. And you can be in Him. All you have to do is believe that He's the Son of God. And I know you do. Confess His name. Confess His name before others.
He that confesses me before men, I'll confess before my Father. Be baptized with him in the, in the water of the grave of baptism. Rise to walk in the newness of life. And start out putting on some fruit. Let's do that. As together we stand and sing.